Hi, and welcome to Fun With Science. I'm Steve, and this is Carrie. Travis can't be here with us today because he's accepting an award for best chemist slash musician slash bearded guy in the Midwest. Yay, Travis. Today, in Fun With Science, we're using Van Holten's hot pickle, and we're gonna put electricity through it and make it a very hot pickle. Yes! It's alive! It's Franken pickle. Well, greetings, Rock Island, Bettendorf, QC West. <laughs> I'm Steve Abel. For those of you who don't know me, one of the worship pastors here at Heritage. And uh, I have the distinct honor and privilege of sharing the word with you today as one of, uh, one of the teaching pastors here at Heritage. So it's kind of a cool thing. Um, we've been on this journey through the book of Colossians, which we're calling chain reaction. And so Carrie and Travis and I have had a great time filming these little uh, promo video, kind of before the sermon videos, um, because as cool and as hip as you think that I am, you know, you're no laughing at that, as cool and as hip as you think I am, I'm actually really a pretty big nerd. Um, I love all of the Star Wars videos and movies. Three people, that's good are with me. That's good. I'm really excited that there's new ones coming out. I don't know if you're excited about those. I am. Uh, my wife and I, we own the extended editions of Lord of the Rings. We watch those at least once a year, which is good. I woke up when I was in uh, high school. I'd wake up early, go into high school, and participate in chess club. That's right. I'm that cool. That cool along with band camp and everything. It was, yeah, it was good times. And then when I was even younger, I would have those little, uh, little sets you could get at Radio Shack. They had a lot of springs and stuff on them, and you would connect these wires and make, like, a buzzer go off. And I thought that was super cool. But I was a big nerd. So, but these little videos and stuff we've been making uh, just kind of tickled that itch for me. I love making uh, stuff explode and playing with fire and making pickles hot, I guess, however you want to describe that. And, uh, but don't worry, we were supervised that whole entire time. And uh, the guy who's supervising us says, don't leave it on too long because the pickle may explode if you keep it going too long. So we made sure to turn it off in time. So anyway, we've been in this whole series, Chain Reaction, understanding how things fit together and how they create other reactions in life. And so we've been looking at and understanding who God is and that he is supreme and reigns on high and then understanding who we are in relationship to him and how when we connect the reactions and things that come out of that and how that affects not only us, but the people and the lives that we influence around us. So last couple of weeks, you've heard from Sean, Jason. Last week, you got to hear from Dan. If you've missed any of those, make sure to go to the website, heritageqc.com, click on the media tab, and you can watch any of those previous messages, kind of catch up on where we all are. So today, we're looking at a passage from Colossians 2, verses 16 through 23. And so I'd encourage you, you can take out your Bible, 
your device, or you'll be able to look on the screens here in just a moment as we get ready to read the passage together. Uh, But I want you to notice before we start reading that that very first word of the passage is, therefore, meaning that that's a connected word, meaning all of the stuff that we've been reading, all of the messages that have been spoken thus far that we've been learning about, this is now kind of the therefore moment. It's connected to all of those because all of this is true, all of those things. Therefore, now we step into this. So Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, basically previous to this, again, discusses all of who Christ is and who we are in relation to him. And now he's going to start turning the ship just a little bit into the practical application of that. So look on the screens, your Bible device, as we read this passage together. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you, were di- since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why? As though you still belonged to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So there's a ton in this passage, and there's a lot of directions of which we could go. But I want to make something really clear as we get started. This passage, if taken out of context, can really create some poor interpretation in life. When we take scripture, or really when we take anything out of the context of which it was placed in, and which it was made in, we run the risk of missing the truth of what that was supposed to say to us. Just like the guy in this quick video. Take a look. Here's your hot and ready pizza. No calling. No waiting. There's no rules! That's your serve, Van There's one rule! <laughs> I love it. It's one of my favorite commercials of all time. He takes two simple things, right? No calling, no waiting. And then from that, he takes it to the nth degree and decides, there's no rules, starts stripping off his shirt. And I love the guy in the back, put your shirt back on. It's awesome. And so it's a pretty funny commercial, right? But it, it communicates something that, that we can sometimes do in Scripture if we're not very careful. We can look at the words of this passage and think, okay, well, Paul is saying, don't let people judge you. Don't worry about these things. Those don't matter. And so we can start thinking that there's no rules. I can kind of do whatever I want, right? And we can start down a dangerous path. And just like the guy in the Little Seizures commercial, we can start taking out things of our, out of our faith life that really should remain and stay there. We are always to obey God. It's just a base fact. It's in every book of the Bible it says this to be true. And so to grab a small passage and to apply it too broadly can have us start stepping out of the bounds of what Scripture says as a whole. So a quick refresher for us. 
so that we can make sure we put this passage in its correct context. I want us to remember first why Paul is writing this to the Colossian church. He's dealing with some false teaching that has worked its way into the church. And Paul is trying to steer them back to the truth. Sean set this up for us in the very first week that we started in this series. Paul is battling syncretism, which is basically a big fancy word for saying the blending of Christianity with other religious thoughts or systems or ideas to saying that it's then better Christianity. Or in other words, as Sean said, basically you're saying you need Jesus and something else. That Jesus by himself is not enough, which is a bad place to be. In this passage, Paul starts getting practical and speaking specifically to the people that have been talking and teaching these ands which have corrupted the Colossian church. He starts in verse 16, again with that, therefore, which points to last week's message, since you are alive in Christ and he has redeemed you, therefore, don't let others judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. So what was happening here is that some Jewish leaders really started teaching the Christians that they had to follow the Jewish rules and laws in order to be truly Christian. The Jews had really strict dietary laws and lots of festivals that you could participate in. The religious festival that Paul is referring to first was a holy day that was celebrated yearly. The new moon festival was a monthly celebration, probably about this this same time of uh, year. When you look outside, you see the super moon, it's real big, it's full. Every time there was a full moon and the moon started over in its phase, they had a new moon ceremony with its own food, own rites, its own rituals. So once a month that happened. And then the Sabbath was a weekly celebration. But the Sabbath here is not the Sabbath that we understand as the time that we take rest to reorient ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. Their Sabbath, the Jewish understanding, was a list of 39 rules with a lot of subpoints underneath those to determine and make sure that you were resting. To this day, some Jews will still even hold to all of these 39 rules and all of its subpoints, even to the fact of saying you can't turn a light switch on and off. Why? Because in those 39 rules, one of the rules is that you can't start a fire. When you flip a light switch on, you're completing a circuit which makes a spark, therefore starting a fire, and so turning on a light switch is you are no longer resting. So you wouldn't be actually taking a Sabbath. So some Jews will even hire out people who are not Jews to turn their light switches on and off for them and turn their ovens on and those kind of things. You can see how it's become a a big thing. So they had this list, 39 rules. That was once a day, once a week they had to do that. So once a year, once a month, and once a week, there was a day in which very specific rites and rules, regulations were to be followed. And this adds up to 117 days or a little more than 30% of the entire year. Then, if you add in the special dietary restrictions that was a constant part of everyday life, you have a pretty high measuring stick to see if you were a true Christian or not. If you participated in all of these things completely, fully, without any mistake, then you're accepted as a believer. And the Colossian Christians were feeling pressure to perform up to this standard in order to be accepted. And if they didn't, they felt judged. 
and they felt like failures. So Paul continues, verse 17, he says that these, all these dietary rules, the festivals, they're simply shadows of things to come. And that the reality, the truth, that what is to come is found in Christ. And this is how we're going to look at this whole entire passage here today. Understanding of shadows versus reality. Now you know how shadows work, right? We have a picture for you if you're not sure. (laughs) But light is shown from some source, like a light bulb or the sun. It hits an object, and that object blocks the light from hitting another solid surface, like a wall or the ground. And the result of that absence of light is what we would call a shadow, where that nice little green arrow is pointing to. Now, as kids, we probably all made shadow puppets at one point in time, right? You would have a light or something in a room, and you would contort your hand in all sorts of weird shapes, and you could make it look like like a dog or like a duck. I don't know. Random stuff, right? And people can get really crazy into these things. My kids usually like it when I make it look like a spider crawling up the wall. But the point Paul is making here is that these rules and regulations that the Jewish people were forcing upon the Christians are all just shadows. They imply a concept, but they do not contain the true concept. Let me explain. A shadow puppet, my shadow puppet of the spider, it looks like a spider, but it really isn't. From the shape of just a shadow, you may be able to infer that spiders have eight legs. You may be able to kind of guess that maybe they can crawl on walls, but you couldn't tell that the spider could bite you, it could spin a beautiful web, or has multiple eyes that are looking at you every second. The shadow allows you some knowledge of what that thing is, but it's very limited. These festivals and rules were given at one point in time to the Jews to help them understand what was not yet. It was a shadow of what was coming. Jesus Christ had not yet come. He was still on his way. So these rituals and festivals were to keep reminding them of what was to come. The shadow gave them an understanding of who Jesus was and what he was like, but it never gave the full reality of who Christ was. And the punchline is now, at the time of this letter, when it's written, Christ had already come. He had dealt with sin and death, so they didn't have to worry about rituals to understand who Christ was. They could have full relationship with him. The reality was there, right in front of them. The true substance that cast that shadow was there. But what happened is that in the reality of the truth of Christ, they were still settling for the shadows, their traditions that they had held to for so long. These teachers, they also had false humility. Humility means a lowliness of mind. And this is a stark contrast to a puffed-up one, which is what Paul says about them. 
These teachers, they also worshiped angels, which we understand that God's only the, the only one worthy of our worship. In that time, they would have people praising Michael, one of the angels. And we know that any worship that isn't directed to God is false. Paul further says that they proudly or with a puffed up mind, they talk grandly about the things that they had seen. And what Paul is drawing attention to here is that these teachers... They were walking by what they had seen. They were walking by sight. What they had seen with their own eyes. And scholars debate that if what these guys saw was really anything, or if it was, you know, demonic, or if it was a natural phenomenon, but Paul doesn't really seem to focus on what they had seen, but instead draws attention to the fact that they were proudly going into great detail about whatever they had seen, and making others feel that they were lesser or not Christian, because they had not seen what they had. They were telling them to walk by sight instead of by faith and causing others to feel they had to walk by sight. And these false teachers, again, we mentioned this already, They weren't humble. They were proud. Their pride came from the fact that they kept all of these days and rituals and that they had fancy ideas given to them by visions. They thought they knew the right way to worship. Because they did all of this, they thought that they could judge those who didn't. They saw themselves as better than anyone else. If you followed the rules and the laws, then you were good. And if you didn't, you were out. You didn't belong. And that's why Paul said that these people had lost connection to the head, to Christ. Because the truth is, judgment always causes division within the body of Christ. We are all connected and unified under the lordship of Jesus. That's why we talk so much about living linked in community and connection with each other. These false teachers miss that fact that God is the one that holds it all together. That every fiber of the body of Christ is held together by him and it grows just as Jesus wants it to grow. It moves just as Jesus wants it to move. He calls the shots. The head moves the body, not the other way around. They chose in the light of God's truth that he is in control to trust in the shadows. At this point, Paul starts shifting focus a little bit more away from the false teachers and starts speaking specifically to the church. And I love this uh, part of the passage because I, I can see Paul kind of pacing back and forth in the room as he writes it or as he dictates it and somebody else writes it. This is kind of a, his hello McFly moment. Back to the future, we get that? It's good. All right. I, I told you I was a nerd, sorry. He says this, he says, Since you have died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, and here he goes, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Last week, Dan talked all about that. On the top of your note-taking guide, it has that verse, verse 14, this same chapter. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, triumphing over them by the cross. Why do you follow the world? 
Why do you think that its rules have anything to do with your relationship with God? The law is done. Christ canceled the written code. And he did it all out of, instead, his love for you. You don't have to trust in the law anymore, the shadow, when you have the real thing. And Paul keeps going. He's kind of ramped up here. He says, these rules do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all rules that dealt with meat. Okay? Meat. Meat goes away, right? It perishes, or it gets eaten, or it rots, or it decays. So the rules that deal with it have the exact same fate because they're all based upon the shadow, not the reality. And there's no substance to the shadow. You have to turn to the light to see the truth. Because the question is, how can something that is finite, like a slab of meat, (laughs) determine the state of that which is eternal? And the answer is that it can't. My T-bone has nothing to do with my spiritual state with God. And Paul says, these rules, they look like they might have some weight. They might have the appearance of wisdom because they require sacrifice and hard work to keep them. It's difficult to do, so you know, it must be the correct thing to do, right? But they're still just settling for the shadows. The worship that these false teachers wanted them to do was all self-focused. It was all on their own terms and the way that they wanted it. They wanted to do so much for God in their worship that God had no other choice than to respond in the fashion that they desired. They set the rules and God had to follow suit. And if he didn't, it was his fault, not theirs. So they could blame or they could manipulate God into doing what they wanted. How dangerous is that? I pray for our church that we never go into that place. We are always to understand that that God is the one who sets the rules for engaging in worship with him. Worship is always to be God-led, not self-focused and led. He sets the rules for engaging. Worship is about glorifying Him because He stepped toward us first, and then we respond in kind. And then He responds, and we respond, and you have this beautiful relationship that continues in the midst of worship between God and His created. These teachers also treated their bodies harshly. This came from the fact that the the thought, rather, that the body was bad and that the spirit was good. So the body had to be beaten into submission in sometimes pretty rough and even gruesome ways. And all of this goes completely contrary to the truth that we've been reading about and studying about in this whole series, that Christ didn't come to just redeem part of us. that he came to redeem all 
of us. When he died upon the cross, he didn't do it for just part of sin. He did it for every single sin. And what it came down to was the fact that they did all of these actions, the false humility, the angel worship, boasting about visions, beating their bodies, following rituals, rules, all of it, so that they could say that they did it. They were proud that they understood something that others did not. They wanted to follow the rules and regulations so that they could exalt themselves in the sight of others. For them, it was all about the outward appearance. As opposed to the inward heart. In the light of God's truth, they instead settled for shadows. And the interesting thing is, at the end of that passage, Paul says that they still lacked in restraining any sensual indulgence. So even in the midst of all of this stuff that they did, it still didn't really help them at all. They still did whatever they wanted to do because all they were worried about was the outward appearance and they never dealt with the inward heart. So what does this have to do with us? fancy church word that sums all of this up is legalism, which can be a misunderstood word for a lot of people. Legalism is not about obedience. We're always called to be obedient to God, always. Legalism is not about man-made rules. On the contrary, it specifically states in the Bible that we're supposed to follow certain rules to function well as a family or as a community of faith. Setting a curfew for your kids does not mean that you're a legalist. However, if you, they break curfew and you say that now because they broke curfew, they're no longer a saved person, you're starting to drift into some unsafe waters, I think. But what legalism really is, is an attempt to gain favor with God or impress our fellow, fellow man by avoiding or doing certain things without the regard the condition of our hearts before God. And the very root of legalism is pride. Pride because the legalist thinks he is able to work by obeying rules and regulations that are only the shadows of the truth. That he will please God enough to earn his salvation or his favor or the presence of God. And now you're probably starting to hear echoes of the previous week's sermons. In this whole journey through Colossians, we keep coming back to this idea of doing versus being. And this is a tough concept for us because we are such doers as a culture we like results, and especially we like results that we can control or influence to make better results. The issue here is that the doing always starts with us. It starts with self. 
we can start to believe that hard work and doing this or that will earn the favor of God or even earn our own salvation. And that's what Paul was so adamantly against in this passage. And this pride of legalism, it creates fear. It creates darkness, creates shadows in our lives that we can start to trust more than God's truth. No good relationship is built and based upon fear. Hebrews 10.1 explains it this way. It's in your note guide if you want to look at it. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. So doing and doing over and over again, following rules, doing rituals, traditions, rites, that doesn't make us perfect. What makes us perfect is the blood of Christ. That's it. He wants us to be with him. And more importantly, he wants to be with us, with you. He wants us to live out of fear. This truth creates freedom. God does not require us to fulfill a duty or attend a festival, save the right words. We can't earn any of this. He wants us to recognize that he, God, he made you alive in Christ. He is the one who forgave your sins. He is the one who canceled the written code. He disarmed our enemies. He triumphed on the cross. He redeemed you. You can't earn that. It was him. No amount of rule following or self-righteous piety changes that fact. God loves you. So you can stop worrying, living in fear about doing the wrong thing that will cause God not to love you. Or worrying in fear that you're not doing enough. Following the rules to get to God or to prove your own worthiness is trusting in shadows when all you have to do is turn around to the light, to Christ. And some of you have lived that way for a long time, unfortunately, having to follow rules, feeling like you had to do this to have Christ love you and care about you. But it's just not true. It's what Paul's writing against. And some of you may come into this church and Maybe what you think about church is all of these things, that it's about rituals and law and you have to earn everything and you have to do this right and whatever. But I'm here to tell you that's not the truth. It's all about the freedom, the relationship, the love, eternal, God-focused, him stepping towards. It's about all of those things. And so you can have freedom 
from that fear that's holding you back. And if you have questions about what it really means, you're saying, hey, I really want this relationship with God. I, I don't want to deal with all of the rules and regulations anymore. I want relationship. On the back of your note-taking, God has a prayer of how to accept Christ, how to pray to him to start that relationship. Not again, it's not a thing of saying you have to follow these right rules or even say these correct words. It's a choice saying, I want to be with you. This isn't, uh, there's no rules, truth. This is a truth that says obedience follows relationship. Be with God, understanding that he desires to be with you. That you don't have to earn it, you don't have to prove it. As long as you stay with him, you will walk in faith in ways you never imagined. And your doing will be out of the true reality of your relationship with Christ. You will obey in ways that you never thought possible. And again, it's not out of an obligation or desire to see yourself better or to prove to somebody else around or to say, I'm better and I can judge you because of this. It's not about anything about you. That's the doing, that's self. It's all out of a love and desire to honor and glorify and exalt, not you, but as you be with Christ. It's all about him and relationship with him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your freedom. Thank you for the truth that this passage has contained for us. God, where some of us have a tendency to live in this place of doing where we like rules and regulations, we like having to follow that. If I do these things, God, then you will respond in these ways. So God, forgive us for that. Where we thought that we could manipulate you into doing things for us because of our correctness or rightness. But God, instead, help us always to walk into this place Understanding that it is all because of you and what you have done upon the cross to create freedom and love and relationship with us. That we can come before you without fear, without a sense of feeling inadequate or a sense of feeling like we don't measure up. But God, your love for us is so big, so grand that all we have to do is be with you. And out of that, our relationship will move us into great places so that people around us see and understand what you're doing in and through us. We pray this all in your name.